20 Schemes is the church planting ministry of Nidri Community Church in Edinburgh, Scotland and Redeemer Fellowship Church in Bardstown, Kentucky. I'm Mez McConnell and this is the 20 Schemes podcast. So just so you know, this is completely uncensored. Unless I say something outrageous, which has been known to happen in the past, right? They, they will, in extreme cases, edit things. They have, I think, in extreme <laughs> cases, edit things. Right, anyway, so uh, welcome to our one viewer. We uh, are joined today with Brian Croft. Brian, why don't you just introduce yourself because you've got about 27 different jobs, right? So. Yeah, well, close. I am uh, the senior pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. I have been there 15 years. It'll be 16 years, hmm. Lord willing, in a couple months. So that's still my um, long-term ministry role. Uh, I also run Practical Shepherding which started about 10 years ago. And interesting, Practical Shepherding and 20 Schemes have run on a parallel in a lot of ways as far as um, timing of things. But 10 years ago when it officially started. And so that's really, that's an, the second piece to what I do as far as um, ministry and even the way I'm supported. Uh, but then Southern Seminary hired me five years ago to run the Mathena Center for Church Revitalization. So. The snazzy title they gave me was the senior fellow of the center. So, um, Does that actually mean anything? I don't know. Well, so what's the senior fellow like? If you're, so is there a junior fellow? There's a senior fellow and then there's fellows. That's the wording they came up with. So, but Tim Booker is actually one of the fellows of the center. So, but I'm assuming a senior fellow is over a fellow because yes. he's more senior. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a way to, to acknowledge me as the director of the center. And the others are have leadership. And so do you have like more authority than Tim? I wouldn't say I have more authority. I'm just I'm running the center, the day to day of the center. But you're better than him because you're senior and he's not. No, right. I'm not better than Tim. Tim, no. Timmy, Tim, you need to. We all get know. Going, that, we all know that's not the case. Tim Booger, <laughs> next time I see you, you, better be a senior fellow. Don't want any excuses. This guy is climbing the ladder here quickly. Um, yeah, Which she has supported. So Americans love a title, don't they? They do, and I, I'm not necessarily crazy about them. So it's it is hilarious. But you have also been on our board since our inception. Twenty schemes, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's see. So when Matthew Spanler Davidson and I came to Scotland, we met you together, and I went to one of your gigs on, and you went in, to one of the gigs on, on interns and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's where it started. Yeah. So it's crazy to. So I've gotten to see it from the beginning, and it's just, yeah, it's been pretty, pretty it's cool, cool, right? It's been cool. So Practical Shepherding, I like Practical Shepherding, so I've blagged a couple of your books here. One's called The Pastor's Ministry and The Pastor's Family. Pastor's Family actually is really good. It's one of my favorite ones. I try to find some more, but there's a whole list of titles. Let me see if I can. You probably know them all off by heart anyway. Well, the core So let me just show you these for, for a start. You can buy them at all good bookshops. I imagine 10 of those will want me to do a little plug because you'll get them for cheap money uh, at, at 10 of those. And so um, there's a lot of resources here. You've got other books as well, right? Yeah, so the core of Practical Shepherding is soul ministry family. You've got to care for the pastor's soul. You've got to care for the pastor's ministry and his family. So those are yeah. two of the three just main core resources that we... Uh, those two are written with, with, with Zondervan. And The Pastor's Soul came out last year, and it's with Evangelical Press. Why um, did Zondervan not want it? Uh, that's an interesting question. That's a longer story. But, Is it? Um, yeah, it comes down to... Um, yeah. The EP, The Welsh Mob. The what? The Welsh Guys, EP. Evangelical Press. Yeah. Because I think I did my baptism book with them. You may have. Years ago. You may have. The first e- book EP I wrote. EP was... was uh, my understanding is that... They they went through uh, some struggles and then have have recovered and have new yeah, leadership. Yeah, I thought they well. I thought they'd they yeah, gone. Well, I think for a little while they were. So actually, my connection to them was uh, was Jeremy Walker. Jeremy's involved with them, right. and he's the one. That, so as a friend, I trusted who understands publishing, and he says, "Yeah, they're 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 making a, there's a recovery that's been made, and they are there's some strong leadership." And so we went with them with the last book. He's a good lad, Jeremy. Isn't he? He's a good lad. Um, and his brother's on the telly a lot. Did you know that? I didn't know. Have you that. met his brother? I have not met him. I've just, you know, rep- by reputation. Heard he's yeah. on, on there all the time. Um, so people want to find out about your resources. I'm just keen, because uh, I like practical shepherding. 
www.practicalshepherding.com. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best way. We got a whole book page. I think we have now, man, about 25 books in our resource section yeah. now. So it's been amazing to see. Uh, that's really how it all, you know, how it all started. It just showed this. What's your favorite book? I mean, I, I got asked that er, er, yesterday. I don't know how to answer that. I think the. I'd say out of the, the three core books, probably the pastor's ministry, just because in one book it captures. What's your favorite book of all the other 25 that you didn't write? Uh, I would say um, there's a book called, there's a book called Mia Culpa. Yeah. By Kyle McClellan. Kyle McClellan, big, big airy bloke. I like, that's one of my favorites as well. Yeah, he plays a linebacker in college. Basically, he made a lot of cock-ups, right? Yeah, so this guy is a great story. I mean, it, it, tragic but redemptive. It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kyle went to Southern Seminary, kind of was the golden boy coming out of Southern Seminary in the early mo years of Dr. Moeller. And he went in and got fired from three churches in 10 years or something. Left the ministry disenchanted, kind of blamed the churches. It was their fault. And the Lord did a really unique, just breaking work in his soul through a church that he connected with who kind of just cared for his family. And he realized that he had made some mistakes. So he wrote this book uh, on the mistakes that he made. He realized that a lot of this was his fault that he brought on himself. And it's a fabulous book. But he goes a bit too far because he's a Presby now, right? Well, I think, yes, he is. So he, he, so he was raised back up in, in a, so he was Southern Baptist and he got burned by the dysfunction. He, I will say this, he got burned by the dysfunction of the Southern Baptist polity in that you've got a, a deacon board that kind of runs everything and they can just kind of fire you whenever they want if they don't like you, which is not how Southern Baptist Church is supposed to run. It's supposed to be congregational, where the church yeah, has yeah. to go vote you out. So he, but now he's gone he, to a... He ran into that. So he got raised back up by a Presbyterian church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were anything but him. congregational, right? Well, they, say, they would say they're congregational, but... No, not Presbyterian. No. I know some of them would say that. They're really? Some would, huh? No, not these. So... They're, they're anyway, so that, what's your least favorite book? The one you thought, that shouldn't have been written. <laughs> That's a naughty question, isn't it? I like that one. No, it's a great question. I, I like it. There's a book that, it's the only, it's the only book that's not in print anymore. Uh, so that's probably the best way to be able to, it's called A Faith That Endures. And in the early years, I was, the first few books published were Day One. And Day One came to me after the first three books, which was on, Hospital visitation, funerals, and then how to raise guys up in the church for ministry. Those three books did well. That kind of launched Practical Shepherding and, and the publishing wing of it. They came to me and still wanted me to write more. And I said, yeah, I'm not sure what to do at this point. And they just they convinced me to take a set of my sermons I had preached and publish them in a book. And I said, I'm not sure I'm that guy. You know, like I have a niche I'm writing about. And so unless you're, you know, John Piper or whoever... Um, you know, there's only certain people that will read sermons that are published, I think. And so, anyways, they convinced me. I published, I preached through Hebrews, and I preached Hebrews 11 for several weeks, just the faith chapter and hitting those different places. And they published a book. They basically took my sermons from Hebrews 11 and into 12 and made a book called A Faith That Endures. Tom Schreiner wrote a foreword for it. Um, but, yeah, it's just one of those things like nobody's going to read my sermons mess. Still, like I wouldn't publish. Uh, yeah, I, I would not publish my sermons again ever. So I've got a really important question for you, and I want to talk a little bit about the SBC, okay? Because we don't really know much about it here. But yeah, this is, and this is one of the big questions, particularly here in the office. Whose head is bigger, Shrek or Mark Devers? <laughs> I'd have to see which picture of Shrek we're looking at, but I think Shrek's got him by. By a little bit. Oh, I'm just not convinced. But I had to think about it. I mean, just. It's the ears that make Shrek look bigger. <laughs> That's true. Mark does not have the ears. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can clear that up. But because... the pictures of Mark make his head look bigger. When he's in person, it's, just, it's more human-like. It's just to hold his ginormous brain, right? Oh, yeah. That's an easy explanation You'd for have it. to have a giant noggin for that. You would have to. But well done for answering, because Matthew De Spanler Davison would not answer that question. Really? I, I tend to ask. Anyway. Another one. I've always thought about this. Who do you think would win in an arm wrestle between Piper and Keller? That's a good question. I think I'm tempted to say Keller because I think Keller's a bigger guy than than Piper. But 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 John's but, wiry but, and. But well, yeah, it, 
John seems to have this pent up anger that I think would give him the edge in an arm wrestling match. Yeah. Like just he'd be able to just channel. I think the John anger. would cheat. I think he'd cheat. How do you cheat in an arm? How do you cheat in arm wrestling? Just put the lad in the shin underneath the table. <laughs> Once he flinches, just now, slam that hand down. I know. I know Keller's known to kind of cooperate with everybody, but I don't think he's gonna let that slide. He's gonna call him on it. Mm, I don't know. But I, so I, my money is on. Piper. I think his general aggression will take over. In I mean, win or lose, I suppose, Piper would just in, enjoy it forever, wouldn't he? That's his thing, isn't it? Enjoy he it would. forever. Right. Yeah. Let's go back to SBC. So that's the Southern Baptist Convention, that's which right. is hilarious because no one really knows what it is over here. But basically, it's a load of Southern Baptist. Is it a denomination? 47,000 churches affiliate with the Southern Baptist Convention. So it's not, is it an affiliation like the FIEC in the UK where... No. Or is it a denomination that uh, has power over the local church? If I'm understanding the, the, the way the FIC works, it's it's somewhere between the FIC and like a, a Presbyterian okay. polity. Because, so the Southern Baptist Convention, the way they refer to it is they're in friendly cooperation with each other. Yeah. So there's no... look so friendly from this side of the pond. No, and, and I think that's fair. I mean, in some ways... I've been pretty embarrassed by the, at least, social media interactions. I've so seen. there's been some controversy. I mean, obviously, race has been out for some time now. The child abuse stuff, we'll come back to that. Um, and not even just child abuse, but just abuse at various levels, right? Yeah. And, um, and recently, they seem to be going after Beth Moore and women preachers. And mm. no one in the UK knows who Beth Moore is. Really? Is that the case? I mean, I had to Google her to, to see hmm. what who she was. She's, yeah. a, she's the youngest-looking 62-year-old. That's fair to say. Woman I've ever seen in my life. Southern Baptist, like she is a, a, a staple with Southern Baptist and women, especially. But but do they like bathing vinegar? These women because they're so well preserved, aren't they? Yeah, I don't, you have to. It's a, It's I don't know. Anyway, so um, and I've got friends who are very pro her. And I've got friends who are very anti her, and if I'm, honest, if I'm honest, because she doesn't really affect our sphere of, of ministry, I'm pretty ambivalent to just sort of watching on with some some sort of detached amusement. And um, I've seen some things. There was a video clip recently of her claiming these special revelations from God, which made me think fruitcake. Right. And then then there's a whole issue around. I think she preached or spoke at a Mother's Day service mm -hmm. in the U.S. and then took a whole, then there was a whole, what do we mean by complementarian women in ministry yeah. debate? What's going on there? What's, would you let Beth Moore preach in your church on Mother's Day? No. Um, so what's basically happening is all the, all the abuse stuff is, is tied to this because... Okay. Uh, you know, so I'm referencing the, the recent report that came out with, what was it, over 700 victims that came out in this, in this investigation that the Houston Chronicle did. And so what it's exposed is a, a, a culture in the SBC churches. You know, SBC churches, it needs to be said, those are, they're autonomous. So the convention doesn't have any authority over them like a presbytery would. And so in what sense are you like Presbyterians then? There's a closer affiliation of of cooperating and like so people give money to the SBC uh, to to fund missions as a group. Okay. So there's buy-in. You know, there's buy-in with churches yeah. and partnerships in different ways. I imagine it's quite a significant amount of money with forty-six thousand member churches. Last I heard, the International Mission Board, which is the the global missions that the Southern Baptist Convention contributes to. Um, I think the budget's close to, I mean, it's $180 million a year or something. Yeah. I mean, it's like three-something, three 3,000-something three missionary cents. So it's a giant, giant force, which, I, which is one of the reasons I'm Southern Baptist and love to cooperate so, with that. So Beth Moore, and presumably the other women from what I'm reading online, is allowed to preach in one Southern Baptist church, but not in another. So there seems to me then there's no core belief on complementary, what so, we mean by complementarian. Yeah, so what you got to understand about Beth Moore is she is an incredibly popular Bible teacher. Um, 
among men and women, but especially women. So she has published her resources for decades with Lifeway, which is the publishing wing of, of the SBC. So again, she's kind of probably, arguably the most popular female Bible teacher in all the SBC currently right now. So everybody knows who she is. She's known as a Bible teacher. But like you said, she's got, there's a couple of videos that through this conversation that people brought out that um, hints to her, you know, talking about um, biblical revelation and, and those kind of things in some ways that concerned a lot of folks. I've, I've tried to look into it. I mean, I know a little bit about Beth Moore, but I can't, I don't feel like I'm in a position, uh, like I don't know her personally. I know people is who she, know Is she her. a false teacher? I, I don't think so. But I don't know what to make of, again, I get leery with just clips that are picked out out of, you know, and not knowing the context of it. But regardless of the context, the clip I saw was pretty weird. Yeah, so now I would the say... The Lord telling her to go and brush some dude's hair or something. Yeah, see, so that's the thing. I would say, so she, she has said some odd things that I don't know how to make sense of. But um, I also know that, I mean, she's got a track record, I will say, of being a really faithful Bible yeah, teacher. Yeah, I've got no years. axe to grind. Yeah, and... Um, you know. So I don't so I don't know how to make sense of some of the weird stuff I've noticed on videos, but I, I, I will say I know she's been she's been faithfully teaching. Let the me Bible jump away a little bit, but stay on the subject because I, I I'm baffled how complementarity in the UK means so you have patriarchal, men only, women silent in the churches, da 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 da, etc. Right? Very strong. And this sort this sort of complementarianism, which to all intents and purposes, is a pretty new position being theologically worked out in the last few years, right? Mm -hmm. Decades even. Uh, in the UK, you would have a broad range of complementarians, but you would never have a complementarian who thinks it's okay for a woman to preach. Right. And yet, looking on in this scene, there seems to be a new breed of complementarity, or they're using that language that looks like functional egalitarianism to me. And mm -hmm. So how have they managed to appropriate like, well, complementarity is now a line where we're all good. On that end, women can't preach. On this end, women can preach under the rule of elders and you know, all the little caveats right. they have. Yeah. But how have they sneaked that, that position there in through the door? Or, or have, they, have we just misunderstood? Have Americans always believed that's what they, we mean by complementarianism? No, it's a great question. And that's what's so unique about this situation. Typical complementarianism in conservative... Uh, evangelical life in the yeah. states has usually been this, <clears throat> especially in the reform world too. It's this, you know, it's it's men only as pastors, uh, heads of household, all those kinds of things. But <clears throat> what's come what's come along is, is like you said, it's like this new. It's being referred to as a soft complementarianism, and so it's like now there's, uh, and a lot of it comes out of. Again, that's why it's tied to the abuse stuff. But isn't it egalitarianism? <clears throat> I don't know the name. So I, I would not call it egalitarianism. But, um, but again, I, 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 let's say this. I think both ex extremes on both sides of this have been very unhelpful. So I think there's been people who have gone to this other side and, and hold to you know, the, that idea of universal submission of, of uh, all women are supposed to submit to to all men. And but that's not complementarianism, that's patriarchy. True, but that's, there's some who would call that complementarianism also. Okay. So you've got these two extremes. Now there's one version of it that says, well, women can, can preach on Sunday, but as long as their elders approve it, then yeah. it's okay. That's the position, my understanding, that Beth Moore's taken. So she's this really gifted Bible teacher, and people love her. So, you know, this probably wouldn't be happening, a conversation would be happening if she's I know, but that's you know, irrelevant to what the Bible says, right? This is true, but I'm saying you're asking why is this yeah, morphed yeah, yeah. into this? I think it's morphed into it because of somebody like Beth who's got this incredible gift to, to teach the Bible and very engaging speaking and all. This. So her elders, I think, are like, well, she's got this enormous gift. How do we figure out how to let her teach to everybody but still stay within a complementarian camp? I think that's kind of, I mean, that's my opinion on how it morphed into that. So now you have, so then you have, from that, Beth would, is going to preach at churches, occasionally, I think, on Sunday mornings. But again, she, Beth isn't, here's, the, here's, what's, here's where she's being called a heretic. I think it's a little harsh. That she's not advocating, my understanding, for, male, for female pastors. Like, that's egalitarianism in my mind. That a woman can be a pastor 
uh, and that there's no distinction of the roles in the Bible. She's, that's why she claims to be a complementarian. She's not advocating for female pastors. But she is saying that under her elders' authority, she's permitted them to be able to teach. And, and I think because you have a gifted teacher like her, and the way that I think women have been suppressed in the church in a lot of ways, and even abused by that patriarchal idea, I think all this is morphed into this because of that. So do you agree with that? Would you let a preacher in your church? I would not. I think it's unhelpful. I think it's unclear uh, to our church. Do you think it's unbiblical for an elder, a group of elders, to allow women to preach on the Lord's Day? I I, answer that. I do. Yeah. The reason I all I can speak out of is my own church, and that's the role of preaching in our church is clearly seen as a pastoral role. Mm -hmm. So because of that, people would be. I mean, one I would I would not let her preach in our church because of that. And there's people in our church that would have serious problems because they, they see it as a pastor. Would you ever sit under the ministry of a woman preaching? I have. So I think one of the things to know about my story, this is important in this, is that my, my wife in the early years of our marriage, I'm a pastor now because my wife taught me how to study the Bible. So I didn't know how to study the Bible. I didn't know the Word. She was a student of the Word. And in early years of our marriage, she actually taught me how to study the Bible. And I sat under her. She taught a, a Bible study class that I actually sat under for years. Learned the Bible from her really well. And, of course, um, you know, she was more spiritually mature than me. I was, you know, there's a lot of dynamics early in the early years of our marriage. But I'm, I, I think that's where I, I, I don't think it's God's design. That's why I'm a complementarian. But I do get nervous with people who are trying to, to almost, like, a woman stands up and teaches, and then there's men present, that the judgment of God's going to fall on them all of a sudden because there's some woman standing in front of men teaching. Yeah, I just think it's a little over the top for me. I mean, I'm, I'm living proof that a man, that God could teach me the Word under a gifted woman's ministry. I don't think that's the design, ultimately, of, of the Bible and the way the church is supposed to function. But, you know, I, my conscience, you know, pushes me to have to acknowledge, though, that I have learned from women throughout the years, and uh, God has used that. And so that's a tension that, that I think we all have to, to sit with. I find men who are hyper-patriarchal on this side of complementarianism, I think there's some different issues that concern me about the, the way that some take that position. But the thing that I, I find that most all the men that I know take that hardcore position have, have, have never experienced a, a woman teaching that... Uh, shows to have a true gift to want to, to be able to teach the word to people, and um, it's almost like the women they've known aren't teachers, don't have that gift. They almost don't think it's a category for them. At least that's the experience I've had with with the. With no, the we men certainly wouldn't allow women to teach in a mixed setting here. Yeah, and that's the thing is I don't allow people. I don't allow women to teach in a mixed setting in our church. That's what I'm saying. I'm I'm, I'm a functional commentary. What I'm acknowledging is that early in the early years of my immature Christian faith, oh, my yeah. wife is more spiritually mature. God used her, of all people, to help teach me the Word in the early years and to learn how to study the Bible. And, and then obviously I got male mentorship later and after that. But yeah, that's a, that's a legitimate part of my story that, need, that needs to be acknowledged. So. But and don't be offended at this. All right. But just so your story doesn't, doesn't, yeah. make it, doesn't make a theological position true, does it? No, it doesn't. That's right. No. And, that, and I've, that's something, I've, that's a tension I've felt for years. My, my wife has a... Has a tremendous gift to teach the word that's one of the ways right. she's gifted but and, I, and I've sat under it but she's she's never taught in a mixed setting in the 15 and a half years in our church uh, I think in our church we skirt the line so church officers in our church are male including deacons yeah which I know same for it, us actually which is hilarious because a lot of my patriarchal friends who think I'm soft on women would have women office bearers yeah, they have women and, deacons, and, right. And think I'm too hard line. Mm-hmm. But because I employ so many women and so many women doing like the, one of the, you know, the, the, all the major positions of authority within 20 scheme structure are filled by women. We, um, I don't know how many women we would employ, John. Quite a lot, though, right? Yeah. 15, 20 more. Shabba's the one you're, you're scared of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Shabba's the scary one. But um, <laughs> well, when I came to the church, she was basically an egalitarian. Uh, just because she was frustrated because she hadn't been used in the church. But, um, I mean, they, they, uh, they teach all sorts of things, counseling, women's ministry. That's um, one of the things I appreciate, by the way, about, stuff, about 20 Schemes, like that. is that you, you have 
you've held to a complementarian position, but you have. Well, I'm saying is sometimes we've dipped in and out. It's a, just a thin line sometimes. Yeah, but you you figured out a way. I think to hold a complementarian position, and yet have a way to for women to flourish in the church. So egalitarians think I'm oppressive. Yeah. Woman hater, and um, a lot of complementarians think I'm a basically egalitarian. So I can't win on either side. It is interesting. Yeah, it might mean you're actually finding a closer balance. We've had a, so what we do, particularly if Sharon says teaching at a weekend or one of our uh, particular uh, topic, what we'll do is uh, one of the one, either me or Andy, one of the elders, will get up before she speaks and say, "Look, this is the position of in our church, authoritatively, it's men, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And, you know, and Sharon's here to teach in the sense of uh, she's not binding the word authoritatively into your heart, but we're saying this is how we do and engage in teaching and equipping women in ministry. That's how we time mm -hmm. to do it. So people see, okay, that's the position. Um, I th by the way, I think the reason that there's this response, I think this really matters in what we're talking about, I think women and their and women's gifts have been oppressed in a lot of evangelicalism. In I the agree. Last. Yeah. So, I think women are mad. You yeah. know, and I, and I think. But the answer right. is not a pendulum swing, is it? It's not, and I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah. So I, I think we're seeing a pendulum swing, that is unhelpful. Yeah. And and it's 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 causing kind of the the claws on both sides to come out because yeah. of that. But I'll I mean I'll be the first to say I, I I've been. I'm trying to help women flourish in our church now more than I did 10 years ago. Yeah. Like I'm learn I'm trying to still I'm realizing that I was not I was so focused on training men for ministry for all those years. Yeah. That I wasn't like purposely going, well, I'm going to make sure keep women in their place and they're like that's not at all with my attitude, but because I was so focused on training men, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't do a good job of helping women flourish it's in our church. It's interesting. It's a very very few reformed churches I know. You will say complementarian, they'll say all these right things, but very, very few churches I know in the UK, even in the US, are teaching, are, are training women. Yeah, that's what I think is unique about what you're doing. Biblically, yeah. for, for ministry, I find that really fascinating. Well, so I think you, what you're touching on is part of the issue, and that's, I think, there are men who claim to be complementarian who are not as for women as they think they are. Yeah. I think they're own, I think they're deceived. But there are others who do my nutting, pure virtue signaling guys going out of their way to be pro women and Yeah, it, and but again just, they're just like but all it's, right, it's but in some ways I think that's part of the pendulum swing. Yeah. It's like they're reacting out of the really hardcore yeah, yeah, complementarian yeah. position. And again, I I'm speaking out of personal experience. So relationships with other men in these on this yeah, yeah. on this scale and women who have been harmed by the I, church. I, I, so. I have friends on all the pendulums. It's just interesting. It's interesting just as a outsider looking in. I mean, obviously looking in through the medium of social media because that's where these wars seem to get. Let's just which, which is not but, a great place to see a no. lot of times, but um, yeah. And then there's I don't want to get really into critical race theory. I had Doug, we had Doug Logan on. Has that gone out yet, Doug Logan's thing? Doug Logan's gone out. It did, yeah. Um, talked a little bit about race. It's not like it's the most appropriate thing that two white dudes talk about race, although I don't think it's inappropriate. Um, interesting that a BBC, did you see the BBC report yesterday, John? A BBC report has just come out from a guy, a, a liberal, a, a really respected liberal academic, so he's not a conservative hawk, whatever you guys call them has printed a pretty damning um, paper or report, might even be a book, um, on um, Martin Luther King. Yeah, I saw it. Which calls into question a lot of his character. Now, my black friends would say, so what? Mm -hmm. On the one hand, doesn't, doesn't negate the, the points he made yeah, and uh, what he did, uh, yeah. and the work he work, work he's done, but what there's a lot of emotional. You know, on the one hand, these same guys would say you can't hold that against them, but they'll hold the, some of the Puritans' positions against them. It just seems a bit. It just seems like there's no winner in this one. Yeah, I think the race issue and even the women issue. I mean, I 
Well, I, first of all, I just don't engage in either one of those conversations on social media. Actually, this conversation is the longest conversation I've ever had about it as far as... Uh, it's good because this is just a conversation with pooled ignorance, isn't it? That's I'm genuinely true. interested in... That's true. And it, especially on the race issue, I think as somebody who is white, grew up white, middle class, um, I feel like I'm still just postured to learn. I'm just kind of reading yeah. and watching. I, I have, But I have friends on both sides of this conversation that I've known for years. Yeah. Well, me and Doug are doing a, a, a gig, I think next year somewhere... Uh, he's trying to talk about race, and I'm going to talk about class, mm. which aren't actually biblical terms. They're sociological terms. Let's be clear but, about that. Yeah, but you, but and this is something that I've learned from you. Cause I, so I'm coming from, you know, I'm coming from a context of of racism in America. Yeah, and you've helped me see that, you know, that this it's different in the UK. But it's you know race it's racism of a different kind. Yeah, yeah, it's classism. And I and I just but I've learned a lot from you in that way because my whole my whole context and it's still like I the church I went to when I went to Auburndale 15 years ago. There were some major racial tensions that still existed there. Mm-hmm. It's only 15 years ago, but yeah, I had I had leaders you know telling horrible racial jokes towards towards African Americans and and mm-hmm. I just I just um, which surprised me, but then I realized. Wow, like, so this is this is still real. This is mm-hmm. still something that's, um, so, I mean, it, it's... I'm not suggesting they're not real. What I'm saying is the category of, like, race and class and all that system, they're, they're made up sociological constructs. There's no biblical right. category that's right. that says, so when I talk about or preach from the Bible now, I always talk about favoritism. That's how I capture it. Yeah, that's helpful. And, and, and Doug doesn't agree with me, that, and, and, yeah. and that's fine, but you know, and we're still pals. But, um, you know, this is the other thing. People seem to fall out and they can't be friends, but mm-hmm. I find that weird. But um, I always talk about the Bible. Obviously, it talks about the poor. It talks about the oppressed. Yep. But it talks specifically in the New Testament about the showing of favoritism, and that's how I would, how I would couch it, because there's nowhere in the Bible where we're called to go on a class war or a race war. No, and, that, and favoritism is, is actually a category you find. Yeah. With in Jesus' ministry and other things that he yeah, and so I'm try- I'm trying to think of it from that perspective. Yeah, I think that's helpful. Um, but yeah, when we were, we, we we won't land there. I just find this sort of SBC seem to be finding new things to argue about every other year. Uh, yeah, we're we're uh, we're good at that. Yeah, we're good at that. Yeah. And and I'm also in the last few years. I mean, I've been around SBC type dudes, Dever and that for eight nine years, and more in the last two or three years, it just seems to be a vicious upswing. Don't know where it's come from, but you know what I think you find in major denominations. I think you find that they have their own version of it. So as as my friend Kyle, we were talking about earlier, who's who's now with the, who's now Presbyterian. You know he 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 acknowledged to me that we love Presbyterians. By the way, just so you all know, I always get asshole because people think I hate Presbyterians. Yeah, I, no, I'm I always pres- ripping Presbyterians. No, I got a lot of Presbyterian friends. Yeah, so. I I, I pr- we pray for their conversion, don't we? <laughs> well, we pray for different things. <laughs> Look how diplomatic he's being now. Yeah, that yeah. No, I think that, you know, I, Kyle's the one that told me he's, when he changed to Presbyterian, was, was ordained, which is a whole process to be ordained, you know. Oh, yeah, I know. From being a Southern Baptist. So he, he said it went pretty well. He said, he said, Southern Baptists have their nonsense and the Presbyterians have their nonsense. I can live with the nonsense of the Presbyterians better than I can the nonsense of the Southern Baptists. And that, that helped me to understand every denomination has its stuff. Presbyterians yeah. will, they, it's like the things they're arguing about are almost like, seem to be just more precise, kind of nitpicky theological things that a Southern yeah. Baptist would go, yeah, I don't really care about that that much. But women in ministry and, and race and all this stuff, we'll have, we'll have wars with each other on, on Twitter, which is incredibly unhelpful, I think. So. Right. Let me just veer off track for a minute. Who's Good. your favorite dead? What's your favorite dead person's pastoral book? Great question. I have to pick one. Yeah, so I'm going, I'm always going Baxter's Reform Pastor. Okay, that was on my mind too. Since you shared that one, I will say probably Christian Ministry, Charles Bridges. I haven't read that. Um, really? Oh yeah, um, and a close second would be uh, lecture to my students. Yeah, we're going through that with our elders now. He's all right. I don't know what people salivate over that book. I for. just love Sp- I, I just love Spurgeon. So yeah. it's repetitive, but 
but it, it's yeah, it, it's 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 good. It's good practical stuff. Favorite living pastoral book. Favorite pastoral book by a living author. Mine. Pastor Justification. Yeah, Jerry Wilson. Miles ahead of everything. Yeah, he's he's solid. There's not even a close second on that book. Yeah. Yeah, let me think. Um, a living pastor. People were tripping out a few years, literally, over Tripp's book. Dangerous Calling? Yeah. Which... Yeah, it was fine. I mean, yeah, I think... Let me try to think. Favorite... Yeah, I, I I lean towards. I'm trying to think of maybe on being a pastor by a Pran and Beg. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to. I'm just trying to think. I, there was a weird bit in that. Those are about facial hair. If I remember reading that. So there may have been. They had a thing about facial hair. I, know, I was. I read it at a time. I was deeply impacted about when I read it. Like they. Like yeah, no, I read it. So as I'm trying, as I'm starting to write practical resources years ago. Yeah. I read that and, and was encouraged to see that. I have to say that Alistair Begg is one of my favorite ever preachers. Oh, yeah. I love to hear Begg preach. Yeah. yeah. And another dude who is good, I don't know what's happened to him now, is Arturo Azurdia. The third. Yeah, he, um, yeah he, he had some kind of moral falling. I think, yeah, so. he did. But he was great on the Old Testament. He was, came up to the UK regularly. I don't know what's happened to him. Obviously, it came out about some of his... Marital. Yeah, there's some failings. there's some there's some failings there. And my dad, yeah, he's I don't know a lot of details. I just know from that the, the, the yeah, but view. and and based on what happened, it's it's. Um, Why are so many pastors? At least ones, big name ones, and not just big name ones, um, falling with such alarming regularity, or is yeah. it just it's always been like this? It's just the way that social media works now that we just know about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, I think the celebrity pastor culture hasn't helped us. So when a celebrity pastor falls, everybody knows about it. But how in America can these guys fall into sin out of their church and six months later they're at another one? What is that all about? Man, a, a great question. I actually, I don't know how to answer that, but I'm, I struggle with it, certainly. It's outrageous. I, I think that... Well, people can have debates all they want about what disqualifies somebody from ministry yeah, yeah. or how long, but yeah, I'm, it's, what, what's hard about it is uh, I'll, it's, it's usually because these guys are so gifted. Well, let's just put the, the mention of the question, then we'll come back to it. Okay. Um, I have an affair, my wife. Let's just say that happens. Should I be disqualified from ministry? Um, yeah. Okay. For, a time, for at least for a time, maybe not permanently disqualified. But. Right. So there. So so in my mind, I'm permanently disqualified. Yeah. So why would you think I wouldn't be permanently disqualified? In the UK, trust me, you're permanently disqualified. Really? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't get a job again in a in a church. No yeah. Chance. So, I let me. I appreciate you asking that clarification because generally, I would say the same thing. I would say, yeah, like that's probably a permanent disqualification. The reason I say that is that I think there are some case-by-case -case situations I've been a part of where, like, and we're not talking two years, you know, like a decade or two later, mm -hmm. you know, somebody, you know, they, um, their marriage is restored, mm -hmm. they, you know, they, they're, they repent, they show faithfulness, and they show it for a long time, um, you know, I think, matter of fact, I know some guys that have used that as part of what their ministry is, in the sense that that, uh, that God put their marriage back together and they get back on track and get some help and, and are able to talk about um, what the Lord did through those times. I would call those the exceptions, though. So so I would say generally, as, as a general rule, if somebody has an affair with a wife, that they are probably done in ministry because of the disqualification, permanent disqualification. So I think the disqualification is, is depends on um, how that person responds and how how much time goes by and what happens during that time. So I just think it's I think it's case by case to some degree. And I don't I just am nervous as you can tell to make just a blanket statement like that. No, one done. of our elders, and this is public, so I can say this. So one of our elders, 
was involved in a very scandalous affair when he was training for ministry. Um, Got to be 40 years ago now, 35 years ago. Mm. He, and he, he fell, he was put out of the ministry. He, we left the church for 20 odd years, never came back. And then when I came back about 10, about 12 years ago, I've been here, um, turned up to church one day, this guy, didn't know him, uh, told me his story, cried about it. He was one of our best elders. And I remember it, he caused a big Ferrari. And I was like... Wait a minute, I thought you said he would be permanently disqualified. Then. Yeah, exactly, right? And so what I'm saying is, this is 25 years later. Yeah. He'd been out of the church for 20 years. Yeah. He would, he would often say to me, I think I only came to Christ when I came back here years ago. Hmm. And so that was one of the reasons I said, well, okay, that's a different scenario. But also a lot of time had gone by. He's such a good godly. This is such a young church. There's lots of young Christians, very few older guys. And it became very clear very quickly how pastorally good he was as a man in his 60s. Yeah. when he'd fallen as a young buck yeah. in his 20s, 30s. Yeah. And he, you know, he, he kept his marriage together. You know, do, do you know what I mean? And so for me, I'm like, we talked, we debated it long and hard because, yeah, that's my position, but yeah. I brought my own position. So what a hypocrite yeah. I am. Well, I, well I, no, I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that's, when you ask, like, that's exactly the example I'm yeah, thinking yeah, of. Yeah. Those are the exceptions. Yeah. I know a few of those. Yeah. But knowing those exceptions is what makes me not just go, yep, they're done. Yeah. And I thought was, I, I agreed to one degree. It's just I'm amazed how quickly these high-profile guys go. And it's not like yes. they go to another, to a low-profile church and think, I'll just get, take my licks. Go. They go to another high-profile church and they're yeah. welcomed like, come and then. So, you're, and, and, and that's concern for me. So I'm with you. That, that's, if somebody has an, so I think I'm, you know, I'm not, there are examples of men who have had multiple affairs, even a couple you yeah, know, things we've already talked about, and within a couple of years they're back into ministry, and I, I, I have a real issue with that. Yeah. So, and matter of fact, you know, especially in this this uh, this uh, abuse culture and abuse of power, like if a if a pastor preys on a woman in his congregation, I I agree that that's you know that's that's not consensual adults. That's that's that pastor preying on that that church member using the authority and power they have to be able to 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 do that. And I have major issues with that. And when that's almost not even reconciled, it's just kind of left, and these guys go on, and some of them even remarry, and then they're back in ministry in a couple of years. These guys are so gifted, and they know so many important, powerful people that if they, I, I think the way they're able to get back in ministry in a couple of years is somebody is somebody wants somebody like that. You know, they want they 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 want a real gifted guy and. Let, let me change them. tack because I'm getting bored by this subject, subject now. So, um, would you allow a convicted paedophile hmm. claiming that he's found Jesus to, to become a member of your church? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. If, if, if uh, I mean, I would hope I would never turn anybody away who's truly been converted to Christ. But, um, but I think we'd have to. It would be specific circumstances on how he functions and how the person functions in the church. Could they ever work with children? Yeah. Yeah. So you would put restrictions. I would. Yep. So like that's the thing is I, I would hope to welcome anybody into the church. Would you tell the membership? Yep. I would. So that's what I say is I I won't I wouldn't turn somebody away. But what if your membership set voted and said no? Well, I'm Southern Baptist, so congregation makes the final call yeah, on who's they, members. Yeah, yeah. They said? So I would. So if I felt a convicted <clears throat> pedophile is converted and the yeah. Lord's truly changed them, and that means they need to be in a local church, they need pastoral care, they need all those things every Christian needs. Um, I would take them to the church for you know to be for a member, but the membership would have to affirm. What do you it. think, John? Um, yeah, I think you'd have it would change your church. One individual like that would change your whole church. But yeah. I would agree that. You, you think know, in a church like ours, you think they'd live very long? Um, ah, well, I think. <laughs> I mean, any, not any, not any, yeah, yeah, no, I'm sure. I think anyone's capable of, of, of any depth of wickedness if they let their mind run with it. I know, but I'm just thinking about the people in our church. It's a lot who've been abused. So I mean, it would change the church. It would, it would totally change the church.
Yeah, no, I so mean, do you think it's dependent upon church? Because let me be clear. I mean, I'm, when we ask, ask you, you just blurb the book for me. We'll talk about child abuse in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, at the end of the book, I've done a couple. There's a, there's a questionnaire. Uh, one questionnaire was for a, a convicted paedophile. One was from three pastors giving their input on how they would handle it. And then one was from a victim of child abuse mm. about what she particularly thought about. So it was it's very interesting interplay. Yeah. Um, and I know one person particularly didn't blurb my book because they disagreed that um, a convicted paedophile should be allowed to be a church member. They, right. th they thought, quote unquote, that no problem that they could be saved, but they, they need to be discipled on their own away from other people. Yeah. And they right. said that's a pretty standard view in the States. I've never heard of that view. I can't say I'm, I'm educated enough on the issue, but I'll be honest with you, like I realized, like you said, it, this is a change of church. It, I'd have a problem. So, yeah, I, I think the reason I, now I'm answering that in theory. I've never faced that. Yeah. So we, I may change we, if, if we, I'm. We have several times. Yeah, so you have more experience with this. Where I get nervous, a question like that, now, you know, it would be like, you know, I mean, that that's a, there's a ver, all kinds of versions of that question you could ask. Oh, yeah. And so I, I, I would get, I'm just nervous in general somebody asked, if this person walked into your church, truly changed by the power of the gospel. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm a local church guy. Like, every Christian needs a pastor. Yeah. Every every Christian needs a, 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 a local I, church yep. and a pastor. And I agree. So it's like, uh, so I, I'm willing to try to be flexible. Now, if there were a bunch of either children or people who had been abused as a child in our church, like you say, you have a lot, like, I would totally be open to, and a majority of the people come through our doors have been abused. See, so I think pastorally, a wise thing might be to help find a place for that person. Maybe here because of that unique circumstance. Yeah, I mean, we, I, have, I remember I had a phone call once from someone, from some legal thing, that a guy had apparently got converted reading my book. Hmm. Is anybody out there? It's a testimony book I wrote years ago. Mm -hmm. and, um, he'd been doing 15 years for, for serious sexual offences mm. and he was due for parole and could he they were ringing him up to say you know one we need to inform you of who he is and the nature of his offences and secondly you know could he become a member of your church and I just said no and they said you can't do you can't say no mm. so why are you ringing me asking my opinion then yeah and he said well we just wanted to inform you I said here's what will happen I can't stop any member of the public walking through my doors right on a Sunday and hearing me teach the Bible but I know my congregation, and we'll know who a new guy is, and we'll, we'll, he'll be known in five minutes. Yep. And we're not going to do anything to him. But as soon as word gets around this neighborhood that we're giving comfort to yeah. a pedophile, I can't protect that guy for a start. And also, the damage it would do reputation -wise to, our, to our church. They're not reasons to say no, yeah, yeah. but there's a bigger... Pro and, and how uneasy and nervous some of my more vulnerable members would be. Totally. It'd be catastrophic. I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Because I'm thinking out loud as we're talking about this. You're throwing uh, this stuff at me. But I, I think that a, a legitimate pastoral way to handle that is, like, so if I was in your shoes where I had a church that was made up with folks like that, mm -hmm. um, and, and this is the situation you're in, to... Uh, Contact one of your pastor friends you know is a faithful pastor, but has an older congregation. No kids, right? And, and contact him and say, hey, I got this guy. Here's the situation. Here's why we don't feel like he needs to be here. But he needs to be in a local church. He needs a pastor. Would you be willing yeah. to take him on? And if every, everybody's 70, 80 years old in the congregation, that might be a better place where there is no kids. And that, that he could still get, that person could still get pastoral care, could still get fellowship in the church. I don't know how welcome he'd be, but but yeah, as I'm thinking out loud, that's probably pastorally a way I would approach that because I want to I want to recognize and honor what you're saying. Like yeah, there's there's certain churches that guy probably couldn't go, but I'm I'm nervous to ever say this person is so broken or this person has failed, you know harmed so many people in their life that the gospel can't give them hope and restore them and graft them into a local church, which is what I think God's design is. Yeah, I mean emotionally, I'm like they can screw off. But theologically, I can't alter that position. Yeah. No, and I feel the same that's way. That's my problem. Yeah. Uh, off, I mean, technically, off the record, 
there would probably be circumstances, now that I think about it, that would make me say, because of these circumstances, this is probably not the best place for you. In a perfect world, yes, I will wish you could come here. But I don't think this is a good idea. But I got a pastor friend down the road who said he would be glad to let take you in, and that might be just a safer place for you to be. I think that's a good pastoral yeah. move. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, it's interesting here. Obviously, we have a, when I hear of churches and the SBC and all these things got hidden, it makes me really angry. I'm like, why would you do that? Yeah. I don't know why they would do that. I would be absolutely, I'd frog march them to the cops myself. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a loaded conversation with, with everything going on in the SBC, but it's a, it's a significant problem. And, and again, we, we go back to, I would, so I'll, I'll be publicly saying, and I did say this to our church, out of all the issues around the SBC, the most important issue that needed to be talked about at the convention was the issue on abuse. Yeah. Not women, not race, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. the abuse issue. I'll be totally on record to say that was the most important conversation that needed to be had. Why is there so few resources on child abuse written? And I don't mean how to, you know, pedophile protect your church and you know there's lots of manuals and etc but you know this book i've just recently written a book which you're blurbing for me and i blurb for you yeah um and it's quite a um it's quite a stark book right it's, mm -hmm. not, it's not happy bedtime reading is it but it's not exactly. also a depressive woe is me book no it was just very moving because it tells your story but it's 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 just threaded with hope through it so and and i wrote it evangelistically why yep. is there so few resources when there's so when it, abuse is so prevalent and it, it's the people i mean i get frustrated with apologetic people when they're talking about uh, uh, postmodern apologetics and this that and the other and i'm saying the biggest apologetic problem i have in we have in the schemes is yeah god's out there is he so hmm. why did my uncles rape me then why did my Dad sell me to the neighbors for beer money. Well, I, no, by far it's uh, the abuse questions which, which drove me to write the book. Why is there so few resources, do you think? I think the best way to answer that is the report that came out showed how hidden all the abuse was yeah. in these churches. And, you know, I mean, everybody wants to you know, point to the Catholic Church, which had its own issues with abuse, yeah. obviously. But I think that's what was so just shocking. Uh, in SBC life, which, by the way, I was, I was so grieved by the report. I can't say I was surprised by it, because there is this culture of kind of protecting the institution, protecting the the powerful. How is that? What? As a, I can't understand what would drive a pastor to do that. I don't understand. I, help me understand. Well, we've um, had I've, in my twenty years of ministry, I've had quite a lot of cases, yeah. and uh, maybe it's my own background, but. I have absolutely come down like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Complete and total transparency, regardless of outcome. So it seems, again, this is just my, my experience, it seems what comes with it is, number one, uh, victims are not believed like they should be. So a child comes and says, this person, you yeah. know, this leader in the church touched me inappropriately. Yeah. And the leaders, this people, every person, everybody looks like, yeah, I can't see them doing that. So all of a sudden they dismiss the child's claim. And so that's what all these reports are coming out because when it was brought up, children weren't believed or that the culture of the church showed that you don't come out with that stuff because they're not going to believe you. They're going to they're going to side with this guy who though, you know, as as I've learned that and you, I'm, you know, you obviously know this stuff is the those who groom for abuse or those who are a lot of times respected I'd be, I'd be and loved. interested to see the percentage of SBC churches and abuse, how much of it happened in big churches compared to little ones? I wonder if you can get away with more in a big church because there's so much going on. That's a good question. I, I think I'm tempted to say you can get away with more in a big church just because it's hard to monitor everything when yeah. you get thousands of people. However, big churches oftentimes have more things in place to try to protect that. Yeah, Smaller yeah. churches is where what I've been taught by people uh, who know a lot more about this than I do, is that they, uh, that pedophiles find churches that... Well, they hunt, they hunt they, them down. They, they, they look for these places that are safe for them. Yeah. And so I think generally, 
SBC churches, a lot, most of them were not, were not mindful to function in a way to try to scare people off like that. Yeah. And so they don't talk about abuse. They don't pray for the abuse. They don't preach about, yeah, you know, yeah, these yeah. kind of things. And so, again, I'm, I'm a pastor lear- learning about this still and trying to figure out how to do it this best in our church. But I think that's why a lot of resources aren't written, man, is that it's, it's one of those things that people don't want to talk about. And this, the article is now forcing so many SB. I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation if that, if that article hadn't come out. I mean, that, that really put a lot of pressure on the convention to have to have this conversation. So, if, you know, this, if people well, aren't having a conversation I, well, about article. the Houston Chronicle article, the one that... I don't know about it. I just saw... So the Houston Chronicle, which is a, 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 a news... Yeah. I saw the New York that, Times one on... Yeah, but the, the Houston Chronicle is one that, that started this all. Right, thing. Okay. They did this three-part investigation that revealed all this over right. the course of years. So it revealed, in a sense, this massive amount of unreported, undealt with abuse cases in the SBC. And that just blew the top off of everybody who wanted to hide and act like this wasn't an issue. So they should fire every pastor, shouldn't they? <laughs> who covered it up. Oh, every, okay. I say Every pastor in the SBC? No, but everyone who covered it up, right? Then I should be disqualified from ministry forever. Yeah, no, I think I think that yeah. And again, all these are case by case. But yeah, if a pastor, if a pastor covered up abuse, he needs to answer for that for sure. Yeah, yeah. And and I think what I'm learning too is that, um, like, even still, what reason people are protected is. And I've learned this recently. When even a well, I think there's well-intended pastors who maybe get a report of abuse. Listen. These guys, abusers, they're manipulative, they're very, very, very smart, very clever. So I can understand how they can pull the, yeah. the wool over And that's what, guys. so pastors, I, like I said, I think there are pastors who willingly and sinfully covered things up to protect either themselves or whatever. I think there's also pastors, out of ignorance, said, okay, I, I want to take this seriously. This person shared about abuse, but they're accusing somebody who I can't imagine did this so yeah. so i want to handle this really carefully until we can confirm this actually really happened so we don't damage this person's reputation the problem is is that's the that's kind of the default system and the, what i've learned that i didn't understand that i understand now is that that's choosing that person over the victim mm-hmm. and the victim feels that and and it is difficult because we do get a lot of cases where kids particularly from trouble backgrounds make outrageous claims that aren't true so that is a particularly in our end of the pool. It is a it is a real danger that goes to the job. It's why I have very I have very strict rules in place about who I'll interact with, yeah, who I, I won't interact I with. Too. Um, uh, some people find that di- find that difficult. Find them a bit aloof, and I'm, I'd, I'd rather be known as aloof than handsy, right? Well, and I, I that's how I would answer your question you asked originally. That they are past even well-intentioned pastors are trying to figure out how to do this. Yeah, to where, do you know in this church? Yeah. We have a system in place. Ladies, a couple of members of our church are the ones responsible for any and all allegations that are ever made. Um, regardless of, because we're a public building as well, we've had incidents. It's nothing to do with the church members, but pe- people who've used our facility. That, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the process completely bypasses the elders. Hmm. So in the event of a, of a claim being made, it goes to uh, these particular uh, ladies that are currently doing it, and then it goes to an outside independent So Obviously, we're informed, but we're informed we don't interfere with the process mm-hmm. until the outside independent, and that's not a Christian agency, legal, deals yeah. with it, and then we'll, then we'll enter in pastorally rather than say, leave it with us, Let, let's us investigate it, yeah. and then make some decision in-house. I'm like, that, that, that I think, is part of the problem. So that, we don't do that. That seems to be the number one error that American SBC pastors no. have made, which caused so many of these things to come out in the article, yeah. is that they, the first reaction was not yeah. go to police, yeah. which is what they should have done. Yeah. And so that's where the, the, the first of many bad decisions yeah. are made. And, of course, what I've, what I've learned more about now is that I mean, the victims who it took courage to even come forward to yeah. say something are not being prioritized. Yeah. And and I've been convicted over the last few years in this discussion by, by I just kind of recommitted myself. And and I've actually, I've, I've upset some people and 
just because I, I've said we're, we're going to advocate for victims. We're going to make sure we do that from here, here on out. I can't say I was anti-victim, but I, I see how that the default is to try to find the middle ground. Yeah. And I've just had the conviction after all this, we're going to do, we're going to favor the victims in this. And which means you report immediately to the police like you're supposed to. You inform the church, which a lot of people don't like that idea. But I'm like, nope, that, that's, that's what the people who I trust who know more about this than I do, that's what they're saying is the right thing to do. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, exactly. Right. That's quite a long one today, John. Is it? Right, that's us then. Does that mean we were, I was interesting to talk to that went on this Yeah, one? actually, it was pretty good. It was a good array. I threw a few sidewinders You did? I was you. like, I wonder what Mez is going to throw at me. That's yeah. all right. That's fine. Good. Appreciate it, bro. Yeah, man. With these conversations, we're trying to expose some of the issues we experience in our ministries. We hope that with honest and frank conversations, we can begin to open up on some of the hard realities of church planting and revitalization in schemes and council estates around the UK, in fact, even around the world. In this spirit, these conversations will be published completely uncut.